My name is Alan Smithson, your host for the XR for Business podcast, where we interview industry leaders who are either making or using immersive virtual, augmented, and mixed reality solutions for business. From marketing and sales, to logistics and training, to design and remote collaboration, learn how the world's largest organizations are implementing an XR for Business strategy and why you should too. Today's guest is Paul Boris, Chief Executive Officer and COO of Premo AI. Paul, throughout his career, has driven digital transformation within industrial applications and operations for decades, starting with his career at General Motors in the assembly division he held PL responsibilities for facilities in all manufacturing modes. In the mid-90s, Paul led the trend of deployment of technology within manufacturing as a senior consultant with one of the largest MES integration firms, powered by concepts we now call the Industrial Internet of Things, or IoT. As CIO for a successful technology startup, he later joined Lighthammer, which was acquired by SAP. As CIO of Advanced Manufacturing Strategy, Paul launched GE's Brilliant Factory Lab, an incubation space for integrated next-generation solutions encompassing a wide variety of technologies defining the ecosystem. As the COO of Vuzix, a provider of wearable computing solutions, Paul led the transformation of the engineer-founded company and was recognized as global leader on the topic of AR for industrial and field use. Paul is currently the president and COO of a new startup, Premo, focused on AI solutions for industrial and manufacturing use cases. You can learn more about Paul and his company, Premo, at P-R-A-E-M-O.ai. That's Premo.ai. Paul, thank you and welcome to the show. Thanks, Alan. It's great to be here and talk with you today. Thank you so much for joining me. First things first, I want to dig in. Let's start with what you're doing at Premo now. I'm leading a, a startup. Uh, we're in the artificial intelligence and machine learning space. And what we're doing is filling a gap that myself and a close team of associates have seen for years in the industrial space. And it's really about converting these machines that uh, either didn't have enough data or now have too much data into more of a thinking machine. The simplest way to think about it is as opposed to machines spewing a lot of alarms, data or alerts, what you're doing is applying all of these tools that now exist in the cloud and converting a lot of that data or all of that data into insights. Okay, here's a suggestion on what you might do next to impact the performance of this process, this machine, this line, this mill, to get the type of performance that you want out of it. And it's really a way to get focused on improving performance and throughput by leveraging the data without having to put data scientists on the plant floor. You're going to take that 30-year person and you're going to give them, uh, in essence, a data scientist whispering in their ear, driven by this AI engine we call Razor. This sounds incredible. I think this is the first I've ever heard of a tool like this because for the last 10 years, we've been collecting monstrous amounts of data. And really, everybody's like, uh, it's great that we're collecting it all. What the hell do we do with it? And I think you're solving that problem. So think about it. In that same time period, we're seeing the, there's all kind of euphemisms for it, the silver tsunami. It's all these folks that are senior to a process, they're at the pinnacle of their understanding of how to impact the process, are now moving off into retirement. They're becoming less agile. They can't crawl around these machines and work in these plants the way they used to. And we're bringing in a new class of employee that might be completely competent 
technically great mechanics, they don't have that 30 year experience and we don't have a way to download the brain of that individual. It's an imperative to start to leverage the tools that are already in place around social and retail, around recognizing puppies and kittens and photos and actually applying that to the industrial data stream and providing these insights. And you're right, it's something that's missing in the space. I think there's a couple of other people out there that are close, but while everybody's talking about AI, I think you've got to have a very good understanding of the industrial use case and how it can be applied uh, or you end up with just another piece of technology that people tend to ignore, if not completely shut off. I've seen this lean towards companies investing in AI in general and without really fully knowing what the hell they're investing in. You have an interesting formula for how digital transformation actually works. And maybe you can share that. You've got this formula, IoT times IOP over RTC times TTA times AI equals digital transformation. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I've spent a lot of years, I think about this probably way too much in operations, working with teams. These are approaches that we've tested in a number of locations. So I know that it works and it's an attempt to help people understand the difference between digitizing a process and digital transformation. So digitizing is I take my paper documents I use on a plant floor and I put them on an iPad, I put them on a computer screen, maybe even I put a wearable on someone's head and I let them interact that way. The digital transformation is about creating a whole different use of the data, this data supply chain in essence. The same way you think about ordering an electronic device that might come from a world away and be on your doorstep two days later, that supply chain is incredibly effective moving a physical product. If our physical supply chain ran the way our data supply chains work in industry, they would be dropping the product at the border of every state, picking it up, picking half of it up, picking it up late. These handoffs don't work. So when you look at this formula, and I've got a piece on my LinkedIn page about it, in the numerator, you need both a thinking machine, these machines that are leveraging AI and machine learning, the IIoT, Industrial Internet of Things. You need a human that has superpowers, kind of Iron Man, I call it the IIOP, the Industrial Internet of People. We're probably not in my lifetime going to have a neural implant in operators on the plant floor. The closest we're going to get is the eye, the ear, and the mouth. I don't know, man. I don't know. Elon is investing in Neuralink. Look, my kids and their kids are far more open to it. I got to tell you, I'm going to be a little bit resistant. But you get the point, right? The point is, how close can we get to that link? And that's by equipping someone like Iron Man does. The denominator is really about picking a spot where you can do this quickly because people like tech, they like to try things. That's the resistance to change. You want that as small as possible. The time to action is really how can you deliver value? If your time to action is a 12 to 18 month RFP, you're dead. It needs to be 12 weeks, maybe 12 days, hopefully 12 hours at some point where you're actually turning things on and running them, bracket that and multiply it all by what I call the big brain. That's AI and machine learning in the cloud tools. We prefer Microsoft, but Amazon, Google, others have tools. IBM has tools that they provide in the cloud to leverage in these scenarios. And then all of that is bracketed by the fact that you're using a platform. So you can do all of this, but if you don't create it for scale so that in your first win, 
when the next teams look at it and say, Hey, I can use this in a different part of the business and a different type of process and a different machine. They should be able to pick it up and move it incredibly quickly and it's all secure. I just want to stop you there for a second. I keep seeing this where one arm of the business is spending an enormous amount of money building a proof of concept. They figure it out. It works. They're great. They're like, yeah, we're going to scale this. And then the other arm of the company goes, hey, that's awesome. I love that. Can you do it for us? And they expect to start over again. And what you're saying is that if you build it on a a ubiquitous platform, you can now say you built this for this section of the business. Now you can transform all of the different parts of the business. I love that. And I just wanted to, to articulate that. Think about this aspect as well. If you take the lean startup mentality, these quick efforts that produce a tangible value. This is not a conference from pilot, right? That's a waste of time. This is in an operation, impacting assets, impacting processes, bringing value. You have, in essence, proven out everything you need to prove out, secure paths for data, how you visualize things, where you use data, where the data comes from, what systems need to be upgraded or refitted so that when you go to that next location, 80 plus percent of all those questions are answered because you've built it that way, as opposed to saying, hey, I took the interns. We put them in a corner, fed them pizza for a weekend, and they built some cool thing that will be the excuse everywhere else. That's cool. We'll get our own interns or I'll get my own budget and start all over. And that's why addressing every aspect of that equation is, in my mind, it's critical to transforming, which then becomes a viral activity across an organization. Absolutely. Because this may or may not have any experience with virtual augmented reality solutions in their enterprise What are some ways for companies to get started? You you talk about this formula of IoT versus IOP for like Internet of Things versus Internet of Person, this Iron Man enabled person. One of those tool sets is the augmented reality glasses or heads up displays or even mobile devices used for AR. What are the easier wins that companies can look forward to? So I, I take a broader view of the term augmented reality. And we spin up these terms even faster than the tech in some cases. VR, AR, MR, XR, how many R's can we have? EIEIO, right? I mean, it's it gets nuts, but I've talked for years about the ability to put on a set of data glasses, essentially the ability to see all of the information that's flowing in and amongst everything that's in front of you. So if I were sitting in my office here and I put my data glasses on, I would see that you and I are connected via tools and technologies. I would see streaming messages to my wife's phone. I would see meter data coming off of the sense I have connected in the basement. I'd see my IIT connections in the office here, those sorts of things. But they would be served up in a very real way because I'm actually seeing a dimension that is otherwise hidden. So the glasses... I think are a great analogy because when I look at the machine that I'm working on, if I were to put some sort of headgear on, there's all kinds of variety out there right now. Some are really good. They're getting closer and they'll become much better in the the next few years. I could look at that machine and not only see if the one to its left has a more urgent need for service, not just because of how it's running, because I see and hear how it's running, but because of the demand on it from the supply chain, the orders on the one to the left are more urgent. And while the machine to the left might look to me in the physical sense that it's running more effectively, it's not running effectively enough to meet a commitment someone's made to a new customer. 
what you see now is you're rendering up layers of data that are only visible if I go somewhere else, if I look on somebody else's PC, if I look at a different report, and now I'm bringing them together in context over the top of this asset. So a very simple way that people can do things is to actually say, well, if I could look at a part or I could look at a bin of parts that's scheduled for an order, give me red, yellow, green indicators that this might've just come into my area, but it might be red as in the hottest order I have to deal with today based upon data from my backend systems, as opposed to a dot that was put on the traveler five days ago when that's what we thought was important. This is about the real time, real joint context between the system data and the physical world I'm looking at. Instructions on how to access that machine that's not running as effectively because I'm a trained mechanic. I know how to maintain equipment. I know how to maintain this machine. I just may not have seen this vintage before. So maybe I reach back into the vendor's data and I bring up some coaching in a way that gives me, here's where the access panel is. The fuse panel is configured a little differently. Here's things you should know. I talked with some folks last week that talked about how do you deliver the last 60 or 90 seconds of training? Because most of these operators have done something 50 times. They just need to know what's different. So when you think of how do I take a bite of this apple? How do I do something quickly? As opposed to trying to figure out the entire chain of custody, how to update the ERP so that the sales orders flow down to the plant so that I can get better to things that have to happen. What I really should look at is how to go to the tip of the spear, provide better information in a more consumable way so that that actor, that person is more productive one hour of the day today. If they were 50% more productive in one hour's worth of work that they do today, an eight hour employee is now about 6% more effective. 6%. I could put the thing on for an hour and take it off. And then I'm still 6% more effective. What happens if they use it for four hours? These small bites, augmenting it with data, putting it in context and helping a qualified person understand the complexity of the thing they're about to undertake, not the, here's how to turn a wrench. Cause if they don't know how to turn a wrench, you need to get them off the floor. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And, and the other thing that, that was mentioned on one of the other interviews that I did was the fact that these machines are changing all the time. There's new machines, there's new processes. You mentioned people retiring, and this is going to be a big issue as we phase out of lifetime work where you get a job and you become the expert on this machine and you work on only this machine for the rest of your life. We're moving towards now a just-in-time education model where I've never seen this machine before, but with these glasses, I have the full capabilities of understanding everything about that machine real-time as I need it. I go out into the garage, I go to start the power washer to do my spring chores and it doesn't start. So what do I do? I grab my iPad, I spend 10 minutes searching, I find a video, I hold the iPad with one hand while I'm trying to work on the gas filter and I get gas on the iPad and I ruin the case, blah, blah, blah. If I got a little bit of coaching in the right dose at the right time in the right context, I could use two hands, I could keep working and fix these things. We do these things in the garage, people do it in the shop working on cars, people do it in beauty salons. The reality is they are capable at a craft, they don't understand a particular use case. And like you said, the machine itself is changing, the requirement of the machine, 
upgrades to the machine, the vintage of the machine. It got something bolted to it in the last 10 years that we didn't know about. All of those things are being captured somewhere. They could be unleashed through that headset, basically. Basically, what you're saying is AR glasses are going to give us superpowers. They're going to give us superpowers and the AI component. AR is how you take, I heard Heppelman from PTC talk about this a lot, cognitive load. When you're traveling, there's a big arrow that points to the right as opposed to 10-point text that says, in so far, you're going to make a right-hand turn. You see the big arrow, you know that means go to the right. I don't even speak the language, but I know the arrow to the right means go to the right. Yep. If you can simplify that way, even in the context of artificial intelligence, that's what we're doing with Premo is we're saying, put the glasses on, it's going to give you the superpowers, but what the AI is going to do is apply the superpower to the machine and tell you, no, 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 look to the one to the left, because this is the one that you really need to spend your time on. And then I'll give you the coaching on exactly what to do when you spend time there. It's knowing what you need, when you need it, without you even asking. So think of this. When I was at GE, everybody's concerned about the frontline worker and the robots are going to take over. And John McElligot from York Exponential, he's doing robots and AI, advise that company. And he talks about humans are actually doing robot work. Robots aren't doing human work. We're doing things that we should never be doing. We should let the machine do it. And this approach is actually going to bring back the handyman. It's going to gut the middle of the business where an order comes in and nothing happens to that order except it gets broken down and reconstituted maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand times digitally until it gets handed to someone who puts something together. And then that information flows back through. So there's whole large swaths in the middle of a company that should be very nervous. The frontline operator who is a good mechanic, a good operator, understands math and understands how technology comes together is going to be the Iron Man. The person who needs to be most worried is the person who prints out a report out of an ERP system, keys into an Excel spreadsheet, and then writes it up on a grease board for Tuesday morning's meeting. Analysts and accountants are going to get rocked by AI. And they don't even know it's coming. No, they don't. It's a little bit off topic, but I do talks with kids all the time on future of work and where our world will be in the next 20 years. And one of the questions I always ask, and this is groups of up to 500 kids, how many of you want to be an accountant? And I can tell you that no hands go up ever. I, so, so look, I'll, I'll refrain from saying what company it was, but I was at a company that had 450 manufacturing plants when I got there and had 430 ERPs. Holy crap. This is a business system. Two plus two has equaled four as long as I can remember. And I'm not disparaging what ERP can do in a supply chain context and everything else, but the need to have that wide a disparity of different systems for the purposes of managing your supply chain is kind of absurd, but people try to put creativity into whatever it is they're doing, as opposed to wrenching the commodity out of it and letting the machine do it. Let the computer do the computing at the supply chain level, let the robot be applying clips to the bumper and let the human step back. I think it was Toyota actually started taking robots off their assembly line because they are convinced that the robot doesn't look at the scenario and find ways to improve it. It just does exactly what it's programmed to do. So they want the human to step back and go, how do we make this whole process run better? Why are we doing it this way? Why don't we re-engineer how we put the seats in the car and when we put them in, where we put them in, how we bolt them and bracket them up? Robots aren't going to think of that. So let the robot run the nut down 
while the human actually keeps the robot healthy, keeps the process healthy, and finds more and more ways to improve that process. That's where our value is going to come in applying our creativity as opposed to just applying pure muscle. So let me ask you a question, Paul. You've seen all sorts of things in your tenure with Musics and GE and these other companies. What is or are some of the best use cases of XR that you've seen to date? The best I've seen are also surprisingly the simplest. It's the ability to virtually teleport into a location and have engineers mark up a physical space that's being rendered up in a viewfinder. I'm at the machine, you're a thousand miles away, you're the expert for this type of machine. I can circle, draw arrows, point on things. And with the right tools now, those markings are staying affixed. So even as an operator, an operator could be on third shift and could look at the machine and put a virtual tag on it and say, here's where I'm detecting this problem. The engineer shows up on first shift, looks at it, knows exactly where to go without even talking to someone, dials in the machine builder from a world away, and they interact as if they were both standing there touching and pointing things, but they're marking this up in the virtual space. And that's a very simple use case. Turn on a camera on a headset, turn on a big screen on a PC, and allow people to mark up in both directions and see what's going on in both directions. We saw the launch of HoloLens 2 recently, and one of the launch software titles that they came out with was one called Spatial. Have you had a chance to look at that? I saw a little bit of that. If I remember correctly, that's where you're actually marking up and leaving tags virtually behind. Well, yeah, and you can also, with the headsets, see other people as avatars and you could bring design charts in. It's really incredible because now you're standing in any space. I could be in my living room or a boardroom, and we can bring in the machine that we're all talking about digitally and all have a conversation, mark it up. It's mainly for like design or collaboration, but none of us got on an airplane to do it. And we can all have a face-to-face conversation. I think Spatial is really onto something and it's maybe not specifically remote collaboration as it pertains to I'm on a factory floor looking at a machine, but I think you could probably have that as well and have the top three people in the world standing at that machine going, hey, how do we make this better? without everybody flying around the world to try to get it done. You know, you hit a big point, which is flying around the world and burning jet fuel and carbon footprint on these types of things. The reality is you're away from where you want to live generally for a week to spend two days somewhere. And you'll get there and find out that they just didn't unlatch it the right way or whatever. It just seems like a gross waste of all kinds of energy and time, pressure on families, pressure on folks. I had, and I know this because... A couple of years ago, I got the top tier status in 60 days on American Airlines. And that's nothing to brag about because what that means is I've spent a tremendous time away from my family. My joke is you get double the miles and discount coupons for marriage counseling, right? <laughs> Those use cases don't have to be wildly complex. Putting two people in the same spot and letting them mark things up. Providing virtual training providing virtual sets of documents so that like me in my garage trying to call up, if I could look at that power washer nameplate, it would read it and it would send that information back. And within seconds, now I've got the documentation and I say, won't start. And it says, does it have gas in it? Does it have this? It starts walking through. Now you're mapping that virtual image, that virtual data of the device and giving instructions. So it's see what I see, or it's give me some lightweight instructions, some coaching, the last 90 seconds of training on how to do this. 
And then I think there's another one that's around compliance. People are still nervous about cameras in a facility. In reality, that can be addressed in a secure way uh, without any issues. But to be able to say, I did this, and let's actually match that to what the gold standard looks like, and then give me some red markings as to where you see an issue. Uh, I mean, the surgeons are doing this now with wearables, experimenting with it where they can actually detect nicks. Because when they're in a body cavity doing surgery, if they nick that person and close them up, it's a huge problem for the individual later on. This way, using different types of cameras, they can pick up the signature of blood when you wouldn't normally see that uh, with the naked eye and then let the machine say, hey, you've got an issue here that's got to be resolved before you close up. So think of bringing people to where you are. Think of bringing information to where the technician is and think of making sure there's a level of compliance with how they've put things in a box or how they're doing in an operation. And usually you'll find a lot of people huddled around those types of processes that don't need to be in that physical space. Uh, They could deliver their documents or their persona digitally. So basically what we're saying is AR will save you from travel. If nothing else, that one thing for people who fly a lot, this is your savior. Absolutely. People who travel a lot for business, it's glamorous. And everybody's like, oh, you get to travel all over the place. But as a business traveler, it sucks. But this is in retail. This is in manufacturing. This is go to a retail, a high-end retail store and ask anybody who works there what happened last time IT sent a new tablet device. They're all standing around saying, I know how to dress people. I don't know the first thing about IT. And now you got to wait and fly somebody out to put two plugs in the back of a computer because those people aren't expert at it, as opposed to saying, hey, put on your HoloLens or put on your device. I'm watching. No, 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 not that. Put it in the other plug. Yep. No, turn it upside down. Yep. Put it in. Good. Turn it on. Yep. And for the price of a HoloLens, which is, I think, $3,500, that's one flight or two flights, maybe. Exactly. That's one flight. But so go back to that equation. Now you've got a machine that thinks like a person, right? You're getting some data, something from the machine that you can interrogate the machine. You got the person equipped with a device. You're going to go to a place where people will welcome this. If you're going to force it on people, I've seen this where it doesn't matter who commands them to use it, it'll end up under the wheels of a fork truck. Even the most resistant folks, if they could see that you will make their life better in a matter of a week's worth of effort, and it's just, we're putting this experiment together, but you're using it in real life. And now you've got the AI infused component of it and you're building it on a platform. So when somebody looks at it and says, now I get it, That is not where I would do it. I would do it over in this business on this process. How long does it take to go there? It should be, we just reconfigure it and deploy it now that we know where we want to go. The trick is until you get out into the stream, you can't steer the ship. So you got to get away from the dock. You got to get it into the flow. You got to get it in real use, not experiment for the board of directors, real use. And from there, the people will tell you, I got an even better use case or here's why not here, but then guide you to the right place. You just touched on something. We do these XR workshops. We'll do a, we call it the art of the possible workshop. And we come in and we show, usually it's C-levels and executives. We teach them what is the difference between virtual augmented reality? What are all the terminology they need to know? 
Why would they use it? That sort of thing. Use cases. We show them a bunch of different use cases, and then we let them try the different headsets. Here's a HoloLens, a Magic Leap, a North glasses. Here's a Vuzix eyewear, realwear. Here's all the different glasses. Here's how tablet AR works. Then the last part of the workshop is how do you think these technologies can be used for your business? And it's crazy. That part is like, I don't know their business. I know the technology here. We show them the technology and the conversation usually ends up with a hundred different ways this technology could be used across their enterprise. My favorite demo I used to do was we would, you'd have to have the obligatory, you know, you got a 90 minute meeting, you're talking for 84 minutes and then everybody's got questions and they want to be experts on this and they want, you got to teach them a little bit and everything. Yeah, that's all fine. And as I'm talking at the end, I would pull the device out. I'd start clipping it together. I'd turn it on, put it on my head, make sure it was the cameras on. And then I'd put it on their head and I'd hand them a little board of raspberry Pi, and they would hold it in front of the camera. And all of a sudden it would paint the board with all the pin configurations and tags, and it would be stuck to the board. So they could turn the board around, shake it, and all the pin configurations stay stuck to that image of the board. And they go, oh, now I get it. And they take it off and they go, we got to go here, we got to go here, we got to go here. You need to give a little bit of education, but if you're not going to put it on their head, and if you're not going to show them something that is as simple and foolproof as looking at a complex device, enunciating what is actually on that device, by overlaying digital information that doesn't exist in the physical space, you're not gonna capture their imagination. And I think that's what you're talking about. Put the devices on to actually see how they might be used. Yeah, one ways your competitors are using this already. <laughs> Nothing like showing people what their competitors are doing to get them excited. Absolutely, and you need to be afraid of this because these problems always come back to all failures or failures of leadership. The reason the projects don't move forward effectively is because leaders are afraid to take a chance. They're afraid to spend $1,500 or $2,000 or $3,000 on a device. Buy 10 devices, $30,000. If you take one person out of circulation on planes for a year, you've paid for that twice over in real cost and in abuse to the, to the person and their time and everything else. So go and do it. And if you pick the wrong device or they come out with a new one that's even better next year, guess what? I look at everybody, I say, hey, who's got an iPhone? Is this the first iPhone you ever bought? I got a drawer full of them. Get ready. We're at the front edge of how this tech is going to be used. And we're doing it in industrial use cases, which is the worst. They're all waiting for somebody else to jump the gap. Now we're starting to see people step out and use these tools. Here's my suggestion to those people that have a stack of iPhones and, and iPads. I mean, in our office, we've probably got 50 different VR headsets. Uh, AR glasses, you name it. We got all of them because we always want to have the most cutting edge things and they are being deprecated quickly. So build for hardware agnostic devices. So make sure you, you just build your software that'll work on anything. The second thing is once they're no longer of use to your company or there's something better, go donate it to a local school or a university where they're teaching how to develop this tech so that you now have a, a stream of people that can help develop for you in the future. And you want to be really crazy, go spend a Saturday with those folks in the school and they'll blow your mind what they come back with. I have an abundance mentality. As these technologies become more pervasive, we're going to get to a future of work where inevitably the profit's going to keep flowing to the top of the organization. And it's my belief that that's either going to be reclaimed with pitchforks and torches, which business people are smart enough to let it get to that. I think the way it might be reclaimed is saying, look, we've harvested so much productivity from the team 
we really only need you here four days a week. I'm going to pay you for five days because you know what you're going to do on the fifth day? You get to pick between the shelter, the school, the park, the rescue. What is it that you want to do to come back to our community? And I will pay you. I'm paying you the wage I was paying you before. I only need you to work on this stuff for four days. That fifth day is going to improve the community in a way that we would go out and do that one day a year. A lot of companies are very aggressive. They do a great job. They donate one day of every employee's time per year. Imagine what happens if it's one day a week. And that's how these profits ultimately get reinvested back into the community. We're at a point where something's going to change in a big way. We could guide it or we could let it run us over. There's no reason we can't guide it. I believe that by educating the youth in the mindset of not just profits, but social and environmental and economic, you have to have all three. And if you have all three, then you're going to start thinking. I put a post on LinkedIn this morning about the Ubuntu tribe and Ubuntu means I am because we are. And basically what that means is I am who I am because of everybody around me. And if everybody's successful, then we're all successful together. But having one person successful over another, which has been the capitalistic model forever and served us very well, we need to start figuring out how to make sure everybody comes along for this wonderful ride of abundance. So thank you, Paul, so much for taking the time on this podcast. There's folks out there that are taking an aggressive posture on how to build communities, leveraging technology, as opposed to creating fear that the robot uprising is right around the corner. If it is, it's too late for us anyway. We might as well just have fun until we get there. I don't think it is. I think we can leverage this technology and I think we can bring some great minds to bear and do some unbelievable things in our lifetime. But if we're not going to team up around it, and if we're not going to be focused, like you said, on the entire environment in which we live and work and team up, we're going to miss the opportunity. Hey, thanks for having me. This is a great conversation. I'm glad I can join you and I hope this shed a little bit of light on, uh, on how I come at some of these topics. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening. This has been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast was another amazing example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing businesses across every industry. To learn more about Paul and his new company, Premo, it's P-R-A-E-M-O dot A-I. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily. 
but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're on the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is going to drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.